Hello world. Hey. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hello. 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 Hi. It's like I've forgotten how to say hello. <laughs> hey, hey, and welcome to this week's episode of Life with Kaka. I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. However you found the show, welcome. I am so glad you're here doing this live thing with me. And hey, if you don't already, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show. Rate, review, tell a friend, tag a friend, spread the word. It is such a pleasure to share this week's conversation with someone I've known for so many years. Jermaine Johnson is a manager and producer at Three Arts Entertainment. A fellow Scorpio, he is and has always been unapologetically himself. I would know since we met during the early days of our LA journey. Originally from Jersey, he moved to L.A. for the weather, but stayed for the film industry, and has since spent the last 10 years building an impressive client roster. I've often wondered what it's like for a manager to produce. What does it actually mean? Why are others quick to assume they aren't doing any work and just glob it on? And what's it like to guide the career of writers and directors? Lucky for us, Jermaine gives us honest answers to these questions. He also digs into the main differences between managers and agents, while also sharing his secret for what makes a good manager. Jermaine represents a wide variety of writers, directors, journalists, and comedians from many different backgrounds. He prides himself on finding fresh voices in places where others don't often look, and giving them a platform to share their unique points of views and opinions. So without further ado, let's dive in and hear from Jermaine. Uber Eats is delayed. I don't know. Uber Eats bought Postmates. Everything is a mess. Dude, sorry to hear about your uh, food delivery struggles. Oh, dark time we're living through. I know. I mean, that I need to protest the fact that Uber Eats is buying Postmates. That's a real protest. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, I have started recording and. Great. Hope you got that. <laughs> I, I did. I did. I will tag Uber Eats uh, in this post. <laughs> that, I feel like everybody's distracted. I feel like nobody realized that Uber Eats bought Postmates. That's, that's like a big deal. They did. I, I actually saw it. Too. I saw it. I get this newsletter that I, I read about this stuff, but it's like I see it, but it's like it glazes over you, you know, because there's so much information. You're like, cool. Yeah. That's cool. And, and the next thing you know, next time it costs you $50 to get, you know, a sandwich delivered, you're going to be like, why do I have options? <laughs> and that's going to be why. Because capitalism, mm-hmm. ladies and germs. Um, well, look, I'm so excited to talk to you for the listeners. You know, Jermaine and I go way back to the beginning of both of our LA journeys when we were wee babes navigating <laughs> through when Twitter was new. Remember that when we met at a tweet up where people would go to meet other people in the business, like let's date ourselves. You were talking off mic about gray hairs, like, whoa. And, and that wasn't that long ago. No, it was what? Nine years ago, maybe if that barely a decade, barely a decade, barely a decade. Yeah. And God, like to think how, how much has changed Mm -hmm. (laughs) crazy, right? Ugh. So that is one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you because you're someone I've known. Our, our journeys have been circling each other all this time. And here we are 14 years later. I think you moved here in 06. I'm oh, wait, assuming, oh, wait. 12 years. Yeah. Oh, wait. Okay. So 12 years for you, 14 for me, but so long enough. Long enough. We've been here in, in the majority of our 20s and we're still here. We're still alive. You're crushing it. And so what's the secret? No, I'm kidding. Don't tell us the secret. Because uh, then nobody will listen to the end of the episode. Wait till the end of the episode, then tell us the secret. If I knew the secret, I would be on an island. 
right now alone. <laughs> Amen. Same. You and me both. But no, so, you know, take me to the beginning of, of your story of how you discovered this industry. And then when you were in it, how you found your way into management slash producing. Okay. Well, I mean, I moved out here and I think a lot of people think it's, uh, it's bullshit when I say it, but I moved out here for the weather. I, I moved out here in oh eight specifically for the weather. I was tired from of, Jersey. Yep, I was tired of cold winters in Jersey, and I <laughs> did not did not want to deal with that again. Yeah. So I moved. I moved out here in oh eight. I worked on the promenade. Um, I lived across the complex from my dad. My dad there was a little apartment complex that he lived in in Bellflower. I lived across the complex. I lived in his in his apartment for probably a couple of months and then moved out across the complex. And I worked it journeys on the promenade in Santa Monica. And that was where, you know, I went to school for marketing. So that was where I was basically just trying to figure out what I was going to do while keeping money in my pocket and not bleeding through the $5,000 that I had moved out West with. Um, and I wanted to get into a marketing job ideally, but it was 2008. Um, there was a recession marketing jobs are the first ones to go because people don't spend money on advertising in the middle of a recession, believe it or not. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> right. So I, uh, I was just working in retail and as fate would have it, um, a woman came into the store and she was a headhunter for marketing companies. And she said, Hey, you know, I, I had helped her out. I think I'd gotten her some deal on some shoes. She's a very nice woman. But she said, hey, send me your resume and I'll see what I can do for you. Um, even if it's finding you something entry level. I sent her my resume. She said, your resume is an absolute mess. Why is it two pages? Why, is, you know, why are these things on here? <laughs> like, just read me the riot act on my resume. Um, and, then, and then did me the great service of cleaning it up. She was like, let me clean up this resume for you. Here's what it should look like. And she sent it back to me and she said, here's a better resume. Um, I don't think there's going to be any intra-level jobs out there for you, but at least your resume looks better now. Godspeed and good luck. <laughs> and I said, great. And at the time, everybody that I was working with in some way, shape, or form was in the business. That's what I realized about retail in Los Angeles, that everybody's in the business in some way, shape, or form, even though you all have the same W-2s. Um, so, so I got curious enough to say, all right, well, what's, what's this business actually about? And I went to the Screen Actors Guild website and I just went to the list of agencies and I started at A, it's alphabetized. I started at A and I called, emailed my resume to everybody saying, we'll work for experience, right? I'll take an internship. I don't care. Um, I got all the way down to G before I heard back from anyone. It was this place called the Gettys Agency. They offered me an internship. Um, boutique starter agency no longer exists actually they since closed their doors um, but I took an internship there and I worked there you know half days for three months and I left my job at the promenade and felt like this was a worthwhile endeavor to burn through that little five thousand dollar nest egg um, I learned how fast you can burn through that money it <laughs> went very very quickly um, but at the end of it I had something else to put on my resume and I took that and I went straight back to the Screen Actors Guild website and went started, you know, at A and went all the way down. And that landed me at ABO Talent. That was the next place to kind of respond now that I had this internship experience. Hey, and at I, least you got a response with an A letter this time. You I didn't have better. to go all I the way, better. right? Like you were moving up in the world. It's good. The internship helped. <gasps> so so I I worked at ABO Talent for about I want to say about two years. And it was a boutique voiceover agency. 
Um, I worked in the commercial department for one of the partners. I met um, I met the person who on this, we both started on the same first day who worked for the animation counterpart partner um, who became one of my best friends. I'm the godfather of his daughter. Uh, and he's a, a voiceover agent in Chicago now. But we became fast friends. And he told me all of the stories about his experience in Hollywood. He's a few years older than me. He worked for some heavy producers. And he really gave me a lot of the education on what it's like at the higher levels. And that was where I started to learn more about the business wholesale. And in that process, I, you know, I realized that I didn't want to be a voiceover agent. That's not where I could feel that I was trending in that trajectory. Had I stayed there, it's not what I wanted to do with my career. And I'd had some conversations with my buddy, Brett, and a couple of the clients. And it kind of dawned on me that maybe management was more suited towards what I was interested in, in terms of just, I would always pick at the clients that came in about what else they were doing. They would come in for a voiceover audition. I would say, okay, well, what's going on in your on-camera career? What's going on here? What's going on here? How can I, how can I help? What can I do even from my lowly position? What kind of, you know, what kind of insight feedback can I give you? So once I knew that management was kind of a direction I was interested in, I just started opening up, you know, kind of that to my small network and saying, hey, if you hear any management jobs, I'd be interested please just let me know. I joined a Facebook group that was all assistants in the business and they would post job listings and things like that. I think that Facebook group might still exist. Hmm. Um, I've aged out of the program as it were. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then came basically a, an opportunity to work at Three Arts. And what had happened at first was the posting went up. I sent my resume. Crickets. I heard nothing. And I waited, you know, with about like a couple of weeks um, I called in the one favor I had in town, which was uh, April Webster and Alyssa Weisberg. I, I called Alyssa Weisberg, who I'd met at a, at a charity function with my friend who's a casting director, Jessica Sherman, who invited mm -hmm. me to that. Yes. And, and Alyssa said, hey, I'll make a phone call. Any phone call you want, I'll make it for you. Because I can tell you don't want to be in voiceover anymore. So I <laughs> make that phone call. So I naively reached out to her and said, hey you know, I've, I've applied for a job at Three Arts. If, do you know anybody over there? Could you help? Not realizing that she had cast a bunch of comedy projects for us. And she goes, sure. And she calls over to one of the, the more mid-level managers who then walked my resume over to the assistant that was looking to replace herself on, on my eventual boss's desk, Michael. So that was my in there. I had, you know, I had an interview with uh, Olivia Gerke, who is now a fantastic manager out of our New York office. She represents Leo Torres and Jabuki and Bowen Yang. Yeah, I'm working with her on another project, side note. It's cool. She's oh, cool. excellent. Well, big shots to Olivia Gerke. She's one of my favorite people in town. Um, I, I, I give her the utmost credit for she, she said the same about <laughs> you. She had only great things to say when I dropped your name. Aww. Yeah. She's like, I love that man. <laughs> She's the best. She's the best. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we had one fantastic interview. Um, and then I met with Michael Rotenberg, who we had a 20 minute interview. I was completely overdressed for it. Um, it was, it was amazing. He had just come off an eye procedure. Like he had had something done. So he had glasses on and the shades were drawn. It was so eclectic, but completely by accident. <laughs> <laughs> and, and somehow through that, we, you know, I think he took a liking to me and he, you know, a couple of days later, he offered me a job. And that was the start of my career at Three Arts. And I 
worked for him for about a year and a half, almost two years. Um, we made, you know, well, he made really and truly him and his clients made a good pilot and a bad pilot. There was a good pilot that, that um, I will get back to, but there was a bad pilot that I just, you know, I never thought it was going to work out, but they, you know, they ordered it, they shot it. I, and it didn't work out, unfortunately, but that kind of at least really gave me confidence in my taste. Mm. And I, and that's, that's really kind of what got me to feel like, okay, I can read scripts and understand what works, what doesn't work and have an opinion that, that makes sense. And actually mm. when you see it to fruition, your opinion ended up being right. It was validating. Yeah. Um, and then we made a pilot that I read and I said, this is incredible. This is so funny and so smart and so clever. Mind you, they shot a very different version mm. of, of the one that I read, yeah. but that show became Silicon Valley. Nice. And, and that's the thing. It was, it was one of those moments where, and I asked him and Michael was one of you know, the best bosses I've ever had because I could ask him anything in terms of a question about advice or a question about a script or something as simple as like, Hey, can I come to set? And he'd say, great. Like he loved that. I took an interest in the business mm -hmm. and he would stop and say, yeah, he'd like find somebody to cover the desk. Yeah. You can come to set. So amazing. Yeah. So naturally when we were shooting the pilot for Silicon Valley, I said, Hey, can I come to set? <laughs> and he goes, sure. And I went to set for that. And that was the moment for me where it clicked. I was like, Oh, this is the thing that you want to do. You want to work with writers and directors. You want to have your hands in the clay with these people that, that have something to say and know how to say it in the most clever, smart, funny way. And, you know, not long after that, I went to him and said, Hey, this is, you know, this is where I want to be for the rest of my career. You know, what do I need to do? And he, he basically pointed me in the direction of how, how to go about elevating myself inside the company I went and worked for Ali Obst, who was, you know, another great, great boss, great mentor, great friend. Um, I worked for him for about I, 15 months. I always joke that I wasn't counting, but it was 15 months exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but but so and, the way to, sorry, but so the way to like... No, please, interrupt me. I've been talking forever. <laughs> his advice in terms of like how to level up in the company, how to stay the course on this career you wanted to go. Since I didn't come up that path, it's very fascinating to me, right? I, I'm such an indie spirit gypsy person. Mm -hmm. So essentially you go from working different desks for different divisions or different partners to like learn the whole scope or what is that next step? Well, the interesting thing about Michael's business in particular was that it was so, and it still is, I believe, it's so spread out, right? So he can represent somebody like Jessica Alba, who is an actress and an entrepreneur and a businesswoman. And he can represent somebody like D.L. Hughley, who's more of, you know, stand-up personality. You know, he's got, it's a whole different lane. And then at the same time, he yeah. can represent Mike Judge, who's a filmmaker, you know, a great. And, that, and to have those different buckets is, it gave me a really really intense education on all of the different mm. lanes of management that you can potentially be in. So it's not like I had to go work in different departments, but the thing is when you're, when you're Michael, he operates at such a high level that I, you know, when you, and when you first become a manager, the phone calls that you're making are to your peers or to, or to more junior executives. Michael doesn't talk to those people that often, right? Michael's, often talking to studio heads and SVPs and, and the higher level people that, that I just, 
there, I don't have any business to conduct with those people. And at that time, I didn't have any business to conduct with those people yet. So the, the, the smart move is to go work for somebody that's more in that up and coming lane, more in a kind of junior to mid-level lane that is still building their business, that mm. is hungry and that knows all of these people at the level at which I'm going to be operating. And that was Ali at the time. Ali, you know, I met so many great executives and made relationships with people that I still conduct business with because Ali would invite me into the room. He'd say, hey, jump on this call and talk to this person or jump in this room for this practice pitch, whatever. He would bring me in and I would meet all of these different executives. He brought you into the room where it happened? The room where it happens. The... <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's a callback yeah. joke for everybody. <laughs> it's a callback joke, y'all. Off off mic, I made a terrible Hamilton, well, very good Hamilton pun that I did not come up with, to be fair. And I said, hey, I'm waiting for you in the Zoom where it happens. And uh, Jermaine, who works in comedy, appreciated it. So I'm going to take that win. I thought even it, was it was <laughs> even though it wasn't mine. Yeah. Um, but but it's it's interesting because so much of it sounds like you know the barriers to entry and to scale up and level up is access, right? It's like learning through osmosis, is being in these rooms and watching how people behave. It's learning by doing, and then find out how do you do that in your own way that right. makes you unique, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, and weirdly enough, as, as we talk about, it, I realized that I had two, I had two great bosses, but they were distinctly very different fundamentally. Mm. Right. Like in, in the extent of Michael is so busy and, and at such a high level that it wasn't necessarily always a proactive thing for him to mentor. It was me pulling it out of him and saying, Hey, what about this? How does this work? Can I do this? And him always taking the time to answer. Right. But, but not you had to take the not. initiative, right? Exactly. He wasn't sitting you down being like, my son, come, let right. me show you. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and with Ollie, Ollie was very much of the mind of what, like he would just pour stuff on me. He'd like, do this, mm. do this, read this, come to this with me. And that's the thing. I always like, I already had that in me to want to do that stuff, but to have somebody that was inviting you to rooms that you wouldn't even think to ask to be in was mm-hmm. so helpful. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's the thing that like really does to your point and starts to help you as you go through that and you learn what you like, what you don't like, what you disagree with your boss on. You start yeah, to understand, yeah. you shape your own taste out of that. Yeah. So now it's been how many years since you've been a full-fledged manager? Seven, eight, six. I don't see <laughs> somewhere in the neighborhood of seven. I would say okay. seven. Yeah. You're good. Yeah, yeah. A good chunk. I mean, so as somebody who is a manager who also produces, mm-hmm. can you speak a little bit to what that means when a manager comes in and is a producer on a project for their client? Well, it means it means a handful of things, right? I think high level, it means that every problem that can happen on the project is your problem. Like it'll <laughs> it will it will land on your desk either at the very beginning or at the end or in the middle, but at some point it is your problem. Yeah. Um, and, and your ability to solve those problems and delegate the solutions to those problems is crucial to how you're viewed as a producer. Because when you come in as a manager producer, a lot of places are already looking down their nose at you because they don't think you do the work. They think you just glommed on. I was always taught by the guys that I've worked with before that we do the work. We roll up our sleeves, we do the work. We take a lot of pride in that. I personally take a lot of pride in that. What is the work then from the manager side, the manager producer side? It is creative counsel and business counsel for my client, right? It is the idea of saying to, and being honest every step of the way of, 
okay, I understand what your vision for this show and this project is and understanding that with my client, right? And being in the trenches and locking arms with them. Mm-hmm. And then also helping them translate that vision through a system that will help get it made and on the air, right? Like every, I protect the vision of my clients and I protect my clients, but I'm also here to let them know that every idea or gut reaction that they have isn't necessarily the right reaction in terms of getting their project made, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you're, you're going to have to figure out where you can compromise. Every hill isn't a hill to die Yeah. And that's the thing. How can we pick our battles to make sure that your vision is preserved yes, and that yes, you, yes, are, yes, yes, you are finding ways to play ball with the notes or if we really don't like notes or I, and we agree that they're dumb notes, I'll go back and fight that fight for you and you still get to look like, you know, the, the person that's playing ball here. But, but you have to find that push and pull. And often when there is no person like me in the mix, right, in situations where it is my client producing with producers they may not know that well or developing just at the network, you know, where there is no other producer involved, a lot of things get lost in translation and the, the relationship can become adversarial just through miscommunication. You know, it doesn't have to be that you guys even disagree. You just didn't communicate the notes properly or you're not really getting the note behind the note mm-hmm. or, or they're not understanding what your vision is. And to have an intermediary that can not only translate that, but can use their relationships right. to overcome some of those obstacles, I think is invaluable. Yeah. You're like, you're like a marriage counselor then, you know, you're like. Yep. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, I think the benefit to your point is having these clients that you have these intimate relationships with, right? Like our industry is so full of these mm-hmm. intimacies with people, the writers, creatives are pulling from their own lives to tell these stories oftentimes. And it's, it can be very vulnerable and to have a person on the inside who can guide and know them and all their quirks and their imperfections and their, you know, all of the ways that you can, like you said, the kind of be like, all right, slow down. Like it doesn't have to be this way is helpful for that creative process so that they can find success in the very business that we, we want them to succeed in. Right. And once you're just like thrust, it's almost like with producers and, and maybe other partners you don't know, it's like, you're kind of just, going from a one night stand to dating and you're like, I hope this works out, you know? (laughs) No, absolutely. Well, that's what I tell my clients. I say, you know, I said, at the end of the day, if you want me to produce this with you, I will. Yeah, I don't have to produce everything. If you want me to, I will. But I will tell you that if you want me to produce this thing with you, you will always know at every step of the way that there's at least one person that wholeheartedly cares about your vision for this thing. You know what I mean? And understands it. It's a level of trust that you just have. There's a that's that's what it really yeah. boils down to. From a management perspective, then what do you think, having worked with so many producers that are not managers, right? That are coming in, that are working with you and your clients, what makes a good producer? The ability to manage relationships and personalities and egos. Oh, full stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> full stop. Including your own. Done. Including your Including, own. Ooh, chat. Drop the <laughs> mic. That's strong. That's hey, that's the truth. I think that I preach a lot on the podcast that as someone who came up in physical production and knows the execution right of how to make a thing happen. All of those skills, those hard skills, y- you can learn. That's actually the easiest part. Mm-hmm. But being a good person, having integrity and navigating, like you said, your own ego and all of the different personality types that happen in this finite period of time that is the vortex of production where it all matters. It's all on the line, all the money, all the things, all the prep. It's like showtime, you know, and surviving that trauma every time and coming out the other side, hopefully having created something 
not just the product itself, but the experience. I, I, I'm a big proponent of we know like there's the best intentions and things do not turn out well for mm -hmm. reasons we'll never understand. But the one thing we can control is the journey to get there. To really create the best art, I think it's got to come from a place of love. And oftentimes I find sets that I've been on before I became a more person who could control the sets were from a place of fear. And it's like, how do you expect people to show up and do their best work, you know, all across the board. So I agree with you on that note. I, it's no, that's one of my, I have, I have a client who right at the top of, of us starting to hire a room for the show that we're working on, we started collecting resumes and, and, and setting meetings. And he said it first. And I think we were all thinking it. He goes, I just, I just have a no assholes policy. Yes. He's like, I, you know, I want to hire the best people for the job. I want to hire the people that make sense. But if they're an asshole, if they're crazy talent, they're an asshole. We're not going to hire. Yep. Life is too short. Exactly. Exactly right. I'm grateful that a lot of people I talk to have started to honor that value. And so a lot of the assholes that do exist in our business are slowly fading away. Um, what do you feel like are misconceptions that the industry has of managers? I mean, I, I hinted at one in the sense of when when managers produce, I think typically the the misconception is that, oh, we're just glomming on to something and that we're just along for the ride and that we don't really mm -hmm. do anything. So I, I'd like to put that one to bed because we end up dealing with all of it. <laughs> like that's the thing. Again, it's marriage counseling, right? And, and it is, I, I you know, I think we've come to terms with it in the sense of we all and I can't speak for managers everywhere, but I know that the the people that I work with, that I work close to, that I see that are some of the best producers, I think, in town, they they check their ego at the door. They're prepared to do thankless work. Yeah, That's the philosophy I subscribe to. Like, I, I leave my ego at the door. I leave my ego in my home. <laughs> I go to work. <laughs> and, and I'm prepared to do work that I won't get thanked or recognized for because it's all yeah. part of just making the art. Like, I'm not, it's not my show. It's my client's show. Yep. I'm, I'm here to just help them get it made. So that the big, yeah, the big thing for me is the idea that we don't really do anything. The other, the other misconception is the one that you hear a lot. And I think you typically hear it from people that are a little more green or people that have never had a manager. Cause there are people that aren't green. that have never had managers, which is like a whole new phenomenon <laughs> today. Yeah. Um, but uh, the idea of, oh, you guys do the same thing as agents, right? I'm like, well, no, no, yeah, <laughs> no. And, and that's the thing. It's, there's a reason why, well, and, you know, back when, we get in lit in particular, we could have agents back when that was a thing that both things were so useful. There were two hands on the same body. And for me, I've always looked at it as like, I have some friends that are great agents that are fantastic agents that know how to find great material and great opportunities for their clients. And they can, and they can find a lot of them in a very small period of time. And then it's a little bit incumbent upon me to have the conversation with the client about which one makes the most sense, right? If we have four or five great opportunities or great sounding opportunities, which one mm -hmm. actually feels like it's going to move your career in the way that you want it to go? And, and that becomes a higher level conversation. Like that's the thing for me. And I think I hinted at it before. The job is creative counsel and business counsel. Yeah. I will talk to you at length on any idea that you have. I will help you tweak it, refine it, and ideally make it the best version of itself. And then I will also help you navigate all of the pitfalls and hurdles of actually making a viable living in this town and, and growing your business in a way 
that can support you and your family for the rest of your life. Mm. That's the job. <laughs> Done. Easy. How? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. how, you know, you have a lot of clients, thus you have to be this person for many people in your life. So how do you navigate that in yourself and find whatever it is that fills your well, right? So you can show up the best version of yourself for your clients. I, I thankfully, and I think this is something that is particularly interesting right now. My business is a lot of people of color. Just is. Just happened that way. It's kind of the stories I was drawn to, the personalities I was drawn to, the people I found myself interacting with, and then the people that those people recommended me to, right? So it's a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a person that doesn't, I don't like to have a, a, a personality that I have at work. And like, I don't like to have two personalities. I am who I am, unapologetically. This is just me. So that has helped yes. me. Thank I you. I can agree. <laughs> That has helped me draw a line. That has helped me draw. That's helped me draw a line between yeah. my work life and my home life. So I can, you know, if I, if my wife and I are doing something that's important to us, then, you know, I will tell my clients that, hey, I got to go do this thing. But it also sets a tone for the way we interact, and it keeps, I guess, it keeps my well from getting too empty in the sense of I can always speak to my clients freely. You know, if they text me on a Saturday on something that's inconsequential, I'll say, this is inconsequential and it's Saturday. I'm going to smoke my cigar. I will call you on Monday. And they'll <laughs> say, okay, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, And they, they expect that out of me. They expect me. And, and I think that's, it translates over into the business because they know that when they get, when they get notes that are bad notes and they come to me and they say, are these notes bad or is it just me? And I say, these are bad notes. They know to trust that. If I say, hey, you're being a little irrational or you're being unreasonable, actually, I think this note and this note are smart notes. Here's, I think you just misheard it or you heard it in a way that seemed, you know, useless. And if you Mm -hmm. hear it this way, it's actually, Mm -hmm. you need to tweak this character or this story, or this isn't shining through. They trust that because they know I'll always be honest with them, whether it is creatively in the business or when they're being, you know, needy on a Saturday afternoon. So... That's how yep. I, I kind of draw my lines in the sand. And, and my clients know that we'll disagree and we'll argue. I think some people yeah. some people subscribe to the idea that the client is always right yeah. and definitively not one of those people. <laughs> Good. <laughs> We're business partners. Yeah, we need more boundaries drawn. I think we, we, we have sort of allowed ourselves, each other, we've, we've created this myth that for this to exist, for our art to be created, you gotta be, you gotta be in that 24 seven hustle and uh, 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 and it's destructive. It's not necessary. Those boundaries are important. And a lot of people I talk to, it took them a very long time to learn. I mean, myself included, you know, where those boundaries are for, for yourself and creating that space to recharge, to disconnect from the thing that you're doing, which is important, but it, it shouldn't be your whole life, your whole existence. Otherwise, right. what are you drawing from, right? If your whole art, your life is just the thing, the job, the career, the pursuit, like, I don't know, I would say that you may not be creating the most, you know, significant art for yourself, if that's where you're drawing from. And the best writers I know are writers that go out and do things. They go out and experience life, yeah. right? And then they, they have stuff to write about. That's the whole thing. And I, and I tell them, I say, my job is to take all of the bullshit Correct. off your plate. Yeah. You don't need to worry about, you know, you don't need to drive yourself crazy worrying about what this producer is thinking or, or if your deal is going to make. Like, I'll handle all of that. Like, I'll push through all of these things that you need me to take care of. 
you need to worry about living your life and creating your art. Because if you're overwhelmed with all of the other stuff, your art's going to suffer. And if you're not going out in the world and living mm-hmm. your life, your art's going to suffer. And that's, that's my philosophy behind it. It's like, I take everything off your plate. You should be able to write and go experience life so that you can keep writing. Yep. <laughs> that's it. Yep, yep, yep. So, you know, you're, you're still in the very beginning of your career, I'd say, first act, for sure. I'll take it. Hey, <laughs> it's true. I've been here longer than you, so then it helps me believe it. Two years, okay, fine. Fine. Well, you know, <laughs> but you know, what, what so far would you say you're the most proud of? Oh, oh, I mean, I, I mean, I will say, and, and I, and it's a handful of people, I will say this, but I think there's, there's, there's a couple of people I can name off the top of my head that I have represented for a very long time. And they were at very, they were at, their careers were small. Let's put it that way. You know, I think that's the only way to put it. Right. So I, you know, I've represented Core Jefferson and AZ Dungy and, and Vanessa McGee and Maxwell Vivian for essentially their entire television writing careers. And I'm really proud of how they've grown, right. How they've grown, not only as writers, but as people that are comfortable being in this space and telling their stories and, and finding their footing and finding their voice because me personally, I'm loud. Like I'm loud. I'm not afraid to be outspoken and, and say, <laughs> Oh, I believe this and draw a line. You know what I mean? That, and I've always been that way. Like it's yeah. how I was raised. So I have that in me, but you don't always see that in the people that you represent, especially at a young age when you're both, you know, trying to find your footing, you know, that they have a voice, you know, they have a point of view. They know that, you know, that they have stories to tell, but you don't know if they're confident enough in their own voice to tell it. And when you can see them grow to that Mm. confidence, it is, it makes the job so worth it. Like, it's why I love my job. It's because I can see people grow into that. I can see people find their footing over the course of three, four, five, six, seven years and beyond, right? And really use that voice to empower others to find their voice. And that is the thing that I'm most proud of at this point in my career. Well, that's beautiful. You should be proud of it. It seems like it's true. It seems like you're, you know, you're a very honest, um, transparent person. And I've always appreciated that about you. And so even though even on our, our journeys have intersected at different moments in time, it's been so refreshing that at every moment it has intersected you're still you've been the same you since we met still won't shut up still won't shut up (laughs) still talking no um no just but but you're you're speaking your truth you know what i'm saying you're not just there's a lot of people in this town who are just always talking but they're not saying anything and i think Mm -hmm. you actually speak truth to power and you aren't just talking the talk you're walking the walk and to see you finally not finally but to see you be here now in this moment in time, reflecting on that, it's super cool, you know, and I hope that that this conversation serves as a a good reminder for that in case you needed it during this time where things are a little scary and dark. And, you know, there's so many questions in our world. No, I I appreciate that. And I mean, I think that it's likewise, right? Like you meet people so early in your careers, and you're like, Oh, like they have a thing, right? You know what I mean? It's like, and I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. I'm like, you're like, you're a person like you just don't stop doing things, right? Like, I'm just, I'm just like, Carolina will never <laughs> yeah. stop working. Like, she's going to, like, you're not going to retire ever. Like, that's not going to be a thing that you do. I, 
I don't think right. I can, no. Right, and that's the yeah. thing. It's so great when you see that in people. And again, it's almost that validation of your taste, right? And it's that validation of your taste in people when you see that like, mm-hmm. oh, like we've all grown up together and that person I thought that was going to continue to have a great successful career is actually doing that thing. Yes. And I think that's what's yes. great to see in the people that, you know, we were all broke together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, 2009, I almost moved back to Florida. You know what I mean? It was dark times for Kaka over here. And I kept pushing through. And I think that's why when I look back on my career, you know, in your 20s, at least for me, I was just like balls to the walls. Like I'm going to find any nook and cranny. I'm going to find my way in to this proverbial castle that is Hollywood. I'm just going to, it's just going to happen. Like it was never a question in my mind. Um, And so looking back on some of the, immense like struggles I've had because I think I'm at a point in my career where a lot of people seem to look at my journey and now they're seeing so many seeds that I planted in like 2010 coming into blossom and they think it's just like miraculously happened for me and they don't see and I don't blame them how could they they didn't live my story like all of the struggle all of the hard work all of the bullshit, you know, all of the pain, honestly, and the grief of loss of people that you wanted to work with that you believed in that never called you back, like all of that stuff that just weighs on you. And so it's why I'm personally fascinated, and a little obsessed, honestly, like with learning how others who have who have sustained and found success in our business, navigate those same challenges that I know we all have, which brings me to my next question. The theme of my show is talking about the messy parts, the caca of our journeys. And so I'm curious if there's been moments where you didn't feel so confident or you didn't feel like things would work out or you felt like everything was stacked up against you. And if so, what and how did you keep going? I would say, I think the years, I mean, the years that we talk about, it's like, I I don't, I never considered moving. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Just because I told myself, I, I firmly believe in you can't you can't fail if you never quit. Like I, I just wholeheartedly subscribe to that. Truth, truth. But I mean, that's the thing. All of those early years where you're just, you know, you're you're living hand in mouth were the toughest years for me. Where you're just like, you know, I I always and I say it to my assistant all the time. I'm like, you know, it, it's wild to to look back and realize that you were living a life where like one or two parking tickets could fuck up your year. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I was like, ah, I don't know. I'm not going to pay these. And then at the end of the year, they're like, oh, well, you need to pay your registration. Like, oh. so, ah, yeah. 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 It's, it's to me, that was, that it was, you know, a whole cluster of years where it's just, you're just realizing that you're scraping by and you don't know, you just kind of have to keep. And for me, that's always what it was. Like, you can't feel like you never quit. Like if I just keep pushing forward, I will figure it out. If I just keep finding a way to survive for three more months, six more months, one more year, I will finally look over the edge of that cliff. And that's the thing you can look at. And for me, it was always looking at the guys around me, right? Like I could look at the the people that I worked with inside the office and say, well, okay, I know, you know, that's kind of the, the, the beauty of working for a partner when you first start somewhere is that you know what kind of money that they're spending making, you know, you know what I mean? You kind of have a grasp on like how they're yeah, doing yeah. in life. <laughs> and what's possible, right? Yeah. Like what can be possible. Yeah. Exactly. And then you can mm-hmm. and you can look at the rest of the people that may not be a senior or what have you, but you can still tell that everybody's doing pretty all right. And you just kind of have to cross that transom. You're just like, all right, if I can get across the chasm of and I and I do think it's just wild. Like it's like a lottery system in the sense of 
you know, you're an assistant for X amount of time and you make no money. And then you cross the other side of the chasm. You're like, oh, okay. Like, this is what it's like to feel like just secure in my, in my business. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and if you can just get there, if you can just get there, that's the thing. And I, and I kept telling myself that you can get there. You have to, you have to just keep pushing forward. It's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. And there are times where you're just like, I got to pay these bills and I don't know where I'm going to get this money from. And you got to rob Peter to pay Paul a little bit. Oh, yeah. For me, it was like TaskRabbit, you know? Yeah. It was that one year where TaskRabbit was the jam. I was TaskRabbiting all over the place, trying to, you know, learn producing and learn my way through the business. But yeah, a lot of odd jobs along the way, you know? But it, was there a moment that you kind of felt like, okay. I'm secure now. I've arrived. Or was it like a culmination of things for you? I don't think I'll quite frankly ever feel like I've arrived. I don't think, you know what I mean? Like there's no. Yes. I mean, let me rephrase that. Like when you finally felt the sense of security you're speaking of, like for the first time, right? Where you crossed over from where two parking tickets could like fuck it all up. And you were like, okay, I'm here now. Yeah. When we closed in our house. When we closed our house was thank Congrats. you. Congrats! I didn't know you. Thank had you. Your thank house. you. That was yeah. That was shit. That was <laughs> a year ago. A year ago. Yeah. My yeah. A lot of my actual life is not public on the internet. I know. <laughs> That's why I didn't know. Yeah. I haven't seen you since like I don't know yeah. when we grabbed lunch in Beverly Hills that yeah. one time. Back when outside was a thing. Outside uh, was a thing, and Dave came by and said hello. It was a whole thing. He yeah. thought he knew me. I was like, "You've never met me, sir." But thank you. Remember that? You guys are best friends. Yeah. Yeah, we're best friends. Yes. <laughs> um, but okay, so when you bought your house a year ago, you were like, all right. That was the moment where I, I said, you know, mentally, I said, okay, well, there's at least a base level of, of security and, and economic empowerment that we have here. There's a base level of like, okay, even if, in the words of my father, the mm -hmm. ice cream turns to shit, there will always be a way for me to make sure that my family's okay. Yeah. And they tell you, right? Like, it's a bit of a scam. Like, some people say, don't buy a house. Some people say, do. But I wholeheartedly believe that if you can buy a house in a neighborhood that appreciates, you can always generate some sort of financial security out of it. And I mean, that's, it's, it's a big part, you know, not to get off topic, but like, it's a big part of the wealth gap between people of color and white people, right? That's, mm -hmm. a, and that's oh, yeah. a big, and yep. it's because, you know, right after the war, they, they made it easy for all the white GIs to buy homes. And everybody else was was marginalized, and you can build generational wealth. Correct. On that. Yeah. So yeah. That that's the moment where I felt secure. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you you had that experience. Thanks. <laughs> so, you know, producers like myself have so much hiring power, right? As like a UPM line producer coming up the physical side, I'm now switching over more to creative, but leaning in heavily into all the physical that I do know and have the knowledge and the context. But what are the ways that we can support and be an ally since we do have hiring power, aside from the obvious of just hiring people of color and black people, brown people, all kinds of people and giving them a shot? Like, are there any other ways in which we, I, can be an ally? I mean, to me, it's that, I think that's the best start, but I also think it's important once you have those people in the system, especially for people, people like us, right? You just, and, and to me, I, I like to start with in the individual, right? I think there's always something, there's a global initiative, there's things that you can do, there's programs that you could try to build, 
but oftentimes we see that those things can fizzle out and sometimes they're often best left to organizations that are structured and equipped for that, right? So you can bring in, I've, I've connected our guys, um, and I always say guys, but you know, I think that's still a, a broad, I'm using guys as a broad colloquialism, but, but I, I'm, I'm connecting our HR department with Color of Change, right? Because I know from an infrastructure standpoint, Color of Change is equipped to bring in more diversity and, and just develop a more inclusive workplace. But when people ask questions like that, like the question you asked, I like to focus on the individual because not only should we bring, be bringing these people in, but we need to do the work, right? When, I, when we were talking offline about me being exhausted, I also go out of my way to try to mentor these people that we have internally. Like I go out of my way to just check on them. How are you doing? What do you need? Come to my office. My door's open. Because those are the things. It's, it's not just good enough to bring them into the system if they don't have any, any support to matriculate. You got to bring them in the room the same way you were brought into the room. Exactly. And if you are in a position of power, if you are a person of color in a position of power, especially, but if you're in a position of power, period, it's an incumbent upon you to bring those people in the room and and to invite them in the room and, and challenge them. Like I challenge my assistant all the time about like step out of your comfort zone, be uncomfortable, ask hard questions, push, push me for things. If I'm not thinking about something or you want to do it, ask me because I'm not going to think of all of it. Um, right. You know, and you know me, I'm going to be, I'm going to say yes, nine times out of 10, unless it's completely unreasonable ask. <laughs> You're but, saying this on a podcast, people are going to find you and they're going to ask you for things. Be ready for it. That's fine. They, they already <laughs> do. They already do. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. I, you know, I'm here to help and I want to yeah. help and, and I'm happy to run myself ragged helping mm-hmm. because quite frankly, people did it for me. People went out of their way to help me. And it's just, and it's also how I'm built. But I think that's that's a thing that a lot of people miss. They say, all right, we brought these people in and then they don't give them the support that they need to thrive. Yep, that's right. That's right. It's like, it's it's only half of the work, you know? It's only half of it. And you got to like right. kind of lead them in, guide them a little bit until they're on their feet and can kind of be like, okay, now I get it. It's, yeah, it's, and I guess you're, you're right. It's the feel good part, not the work hard part. You know, that's the thing. I think if you're really doing it right, you don't have time to feel good until you see that person you know what I mean? Get promoted in a big way or like really make a name for themselves because before all that, you're just busting your ass to make sure that they're, yeah. they're staying on the right path yeah. and you're just tired. You don't get to sit back and be proud of the work yeah. you've done because you're still doing it. Yeah, that's great. For me, like this, this time we're living in has really, and I've always been very passionate about stories of outsiders because I am an outsider, you know, stories of people that we don't ever really get to hear from. And so for me, it's like, it, it's while it's been hard, it's been a great reminder of my why and reinvigorated, like I said, this desire to keep pushing through, to keep working hard, to keep showing up, to keep being a support system for people, even in doing this podcast, you know, and helping people just understand some things about the business that feels so complicated. I think sometimes when people do these kinds of shows or interview pods, it, it's very surface and you know and I for me it's like well yeah I could have read that in like a blog post like if I just want the nitty-gritty practical but the practical only gets you so far to me it's everything else it's the emotional it's the person it's the individual it's it's your integrity it's all of these things I I keep harping on because I believe 100% that is how we make this change you know how we continue to be 
living in that truth and and and, and using the power that we have created. And I hate the word power because it sounds very like I don't know. Just there's a negative connotation to it for me, but but you know the the, the access rather I guess is a better word. The access, the influence, I, yeah, it's the influence, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to really pull people up because we've had the good fortune to have people pull us up, and that's really what it is. You know, I spent so much of my career like frustrated and angry. I was like, no one wants to mentor me, and like, why is this? And this is like, I'm doing this stuff like very sort of bitter, honestly. And then I started to realize. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the wrong place. I keep looking up when I need to look to my left and to my right. You know what I'm saying? The people that are mentoring me, they're you. They're everybody I have on this podcast. There are people who are starting that teach me new things. Everybody's here to teach us something. It's so rewarding to see that. And so now that I have the access, I've been here 14 years. I've created enough of a a name for myself that resonates with hopefully integrity and character and hustle and all of these things that are true to me. I want to be a conduit for these conversations for others who cannot right now be having these conversations and really hearing how the people who are at our levels actually talk and think about things, not answering an article about it. You know, absolutely. I'm glad you said that. Peer mentorship is huge. And I, and like, and I believe that at all levels, like, I think that, you know what I mean? That that's the, yeah, that's the whole thing, right? You find out when you're an assistant who you believe in and who are the people that, you know, you think you're going to grow with and you ask each other for advice and you pick each other's brains and that's, it's all part of the process. I, I think to, to your point, I think too often people are looking up the ladder to say like, Oh, who can, who can very godmother me into this position or, you know, and it's like, that, yes. again, yes. that's not going to equip you the way you want. If you get up to that point and you don't have anybody at your level that knows who you are and has a relationship with you. So important. Um, so we are getting close to the hour, believe it or not. I don't know if your lunch has arrived. You're probably really hungry. I think it's sitting outside. I'm sitting in front of my door. You're doing well. We're almost done. You're doing well. I'm proud of you. You're drinking a lot of water, staying hydrated. Good attitude. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm like, I know you're like, stop talking. I want to eat my lunch. (laughs) But I have one last question, which is the advice question. But if, if there's there anything that I didn't touch on that you want me to discuss or that you want to share before I get to our final question? Sir. No, no. I think you're, you know, you're, you're, um, at this point, I think you're a well-oiled machine. I think you have it, you have this down cold. So this has been a delight. Yeah. This has been, Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I, I enjoy, I really enjoy it. This is my favorite part. I am a talker. I love learning people's stories. It's to me very similar to everything else I do in my life as a professional, as a producer. And I, I what a privilege, you know, that I get to have my health in this time, have good disposition and access and the ability to talk to wonderful people like you and share it with others. And and hopefully they too learn some things like I learn every time I learn new things. Like when I ask questions, it's like, I'm asking for a friend. I am the friend. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, we don't know everything. And there's so many rungs of our business that I never got access to because I came up a different side. So like you said, we're all here to teach each other. Right. I think a big misconception is that you get to a certain level and you have all the answers and to humble yourself and say, yeah, I actually don't know what that is, or I don't know how that works. And the people that I have put on pedestals and I've admired who've said that to me, it like blew yeah. my mind, you know? And it was like, oh, that's who I want to be. That's how I want to be. And I want to be transparent about 
all of it, you know, with anybody who will listen to me ramble on on this podcast and everywhere else I exist on the internets. So, um, so on that note of me rambling, um, is there any advice you'd like to give to the listeners if they want to mirror your career path? What would you say? Do your homework. Always, always, always do your homework. I that that is something that I have lived by forever. So. For instance, when I realized that I wanted to be in management and that, you know, that, and that I realized there was an opening at Three Arts, I did all the homework I could because when I realized I wanted to be in management, I didn't understand exactly what management meant. I just, you know, kind of through various conversations said, oh, this makes sense. Mm. But I still didn't know what it meant. So I did, you know, a ton of homework on just the business. And then when the opportunity at Three Arts arose, I knew exactly who they were. And then in preparation for my interview, I did all the homework in the world on the shows that they produced and long, you know, how long, which person had been representing who. And there's not, the funny thing is, it took a lot of work. There's not a lot of publicly available information on Three Arts, just believe it or not. Well, I think but, any, like, anything that isn't uh, sort of, like, client-facing, that's a terrible, like, expression, but anything that isn't an artist that you can kind of Wikipedia their journey and create it, right. it's really hard homework to do. So I'm glad and you're old. And Wikipedia we're... wasn't a thing. That's true. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Barely, it was like nascent stages. <laughs> yeah, but like the homework is this this hard work because, like you said, the information is was not and is still hard to find. Like I can't still Google you and and learn a lot of things about you. Right today. Right, right, right. And that, and to your and to your point, it's you know it is also by design, right? Like we're not the story. The client is the story. The client and the art mm-hmm. they make is the story. But I did, you know, I turned over every stone to find out where, what was this place that I was walking into? What are they known for? How do they start? All of those things. And when I walked in, I was well equipped for my interview. It was a 20 minute interview. I had all of these things in my head. I didn't need it all, but, but it was all, you know, but it was useful. You know, the one question I do remember from my interview is what are you watching on TV? And it so happened at the time that The Office was still on, 30 Rock was still on. They were two of my favorite shows on television. I knew that three arts produced them and I could, you know, I could speak to that. Yeah. So that, and then from there, you know, when I worked for Michael and then Ollie, I read everything that their clients were doing. I immersed myself in their business. I just learned it and it helped me learn. I think there's often a proclivity to learn the things that interest you. Learn everything. If you want to be in this business, learn as much as you can Mm. and then decide what interests you from there. Like I learned how to do branding deals, all of this bullshit that I would never enjoy doing, <laughs> but, but I learned it all. Yeah. And, and it helped, it helped me figure out what my path was going to be and helped me speak more clearly about what my path was going to be because I knew what I did want. To do. Mm. And that's the thing. And as I've, you know, grown into my career now, it's, I'm constantly, you know, and, and I'm fortunate enough to have clients that are so vocal and loud and smart and just outspoken and stand for something. But it also creates a fucking avalanche of things I need to listen to or watch. Or read, you know what I mean? Like there's always, like I have Google alerts on these people. And they're like, well, I didn't even know you did this interview. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I go do it because these are the people that I care about. These are the people that I'm growing yeah. with. These are the people, these yeah. are, you know, this is like a family. So of course, and, I, yeah. it's, it's, and you're never done doing homework. You're always doing homework. The, the moment you stop doing homework is the moment you stop being good at your job. Mm, preach. Yeah. And I think it's the moment where you maybe have lost a little bit of the the passion for it. And if you don't have that passion and that fire, it's going to be real hard 
Right. Right. Grueling work. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah. and like I love finding doing homework on new people. There was this kid that does animation on TikTok. He does like VFX on TikTok. This young black kid. He's incredible. He's incredible. Yeah. And I just went down the rabbit hole on his material. I was like, great. I'm gonna have to DM that kid because like because he's got a voice and he's got a, you know he's got talent. He's got something that he wants to say. And it's like there's it, you can never finish. You, I'll put it to your point. Once you lose the excitement for that. What are you doing? The discovery. Might as well be making widgets right? at that point. Go be an accountant somewhere. Yeah. No offense to yes. accountants. You guys do great work. We need, <laughs> we need you. Yeah. Dude, I think you nailed it. I think you said all the things. And I, I'm grateful to you for taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Me. Of course. Like, I, I'm on this journey. And since I have the time, I want to talk to anybody who will give me time of day. And that's that's it. So... Thank you again for for sharing all of this goodness with me and the listeners. And yay. Hooray. <laughs> You're like, I'm starving. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I can't wait to eat. I'm so excited to eat. And that's this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you don't already, please subscribe, rate, review on Apple, on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. Follow me on the socials. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Life with Kaka. And I'll see you next week. Beijos.